Hey fam, this is Karen Grigsby-Bates. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to give you all a little sneak peek of something that's coming to the Code Switch podcast in May. It's season two of the School Colors podcast, hosted by Max Friedman and Mark Winston Griffith. You heard Max and Mark on the show before. We aired a couple of episodes of their first season in 2020. Well, now they're back with the story of a school district in Queens, one of the most racially diverse places in the entire world. Seriously. On this season, Mark and Max are asking, why did one of the most diverse places in the country need a so-called diversity plan? Why are we here? I don't understand what is the issue that we're trying to resolve. Is the issue overcrowding? Is the issue the lack of diversity? Is the issue under-resourced schools? These are very different issues, and the solutions to them are very different. I'm very happy to participate in the process, I'm sure like everybody else is, and help to find a solution, but I need to know what the problem is. <laughs> and why were some parents in that district so adamantly against that plan? Why are we considering canceling this meeting? I mean, why are we in such a big hurry to do this? I know. Yeah. 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 So if we're going to talk and I'm going to talk, if you want to speak, sign the speaker sheet. I don't want to be rude. I just wanted to bring that message. You are being rude. That's coming to your feeds starting May 4th. All righty, on to the show. Just a heads up, y'all. The following episode contains some spicy language. Hey there, Karen Grigsby-Bates here, and this is Code Switch from NPR. Life's daily necessities can seem so mundane. Laundry, cooking, a pile of bills during tax season. The story you tell yourself about these mundane, everyday moments often has a lot to do with your perspective. Now you may only see a pile of receipts. But I see a story. It does not look good. How can anything be more important than what's happening right now? That's when an IRS agent asks a woman named Evelyn Wong right before she plunges through a janitor's closet and into the multiverse in the movie Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. On the other side, googly eyes, talking rocks, people with hot dog hands. Our colleague Elsa Chang described the movie as a zany science fiction adventure that travels through multiple universes, including the universe of one ordinary Chinese immigrant woman, frizzy hair, puffy red vest, and all, who turns out to be a superhero. The movie also explores the dynamics between three generations in a Chinese immigrant family— a daughter trying to get her mother to accept her queerness, and a woman learning to be at peace with her own life. So today we're going to share two conversations about the deeper side of this movie, one about what it meant to watch the film, the other about what it meant to star in it. For me, she's the woman, the mother, the auntie, the grandmother that you pass by, you know, when you go to the supermarket. The almost unseen woman who is like got the weight of the world on her shoulders. Up first, let's hear from Elsa Chang of NPR's Consider This, who talked to lead actress Michelle Yeoh. In the past, Yeoh has been in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Memoirs of a Geisha, Crazy Rich Asians. In Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, she plays Evelyn Wong, a laundromat owner. Here's Elsa. It was new for me to see you in a role where you 
did not look glamorous or intimidatingly <laughs> beautiful or regal. I mean, how did it feel to look so intensely ordinary for this movie? Ah, but that was it. You know, I felt that this was such a perfect opportunity to give a voice to the very ordinary mothers and housewife who are out there, you know, doing the most mundane things and get so taken for granted. Yes. And then let her discover that, oh my God, she is a superhero. Exactly. What was so cool for me was to see an unglamorous Chinese woman, the kind of woman who might be invisible to people on the bus or in mm -hmm, Chinatown. Mm -hmm. To see that Chinese immigrant woman play a superhero felt so different to me, right? It was like almost subversive. I loved that. Yes, yes. I think that was the whole, that was one of the main points that uh, we, we were trying to bring to the surface. It's like, not just her, but all of us have superpowers. And one of the biggest superpowers that we often and should use more of is kindness. That's an incredible superpower that's inherently there in all of us. And that's what we are trying to do here. It's like this ordinary Evelyn Wong, you know, at the end of the day, finding what she really, really, she will never give up. That's her family. That's her love for her family, her daughter, that, you know, I think today we find that so relatable because communication is one of the, the, the most difficult things I find yeah. with uh, the different generations, Absolutely. especially with, you know, uh, a Chinese immigrant, any immigrant family. You're here for the American dream. And that's not an easy dream, is it? It's so tough. And some don't ever get it right but they don't give up trying. I think that's one of the, the, the messages for me is like, whatever you do, if you give up, you've already failed. And you can't give up on family and love and kindness. You just have to keep trying. Well, you know, this movie, it doesn't just shift who we see as superheroes in the universe. It also kind of shifts who we see leading a Hollywood movie. Like, you have spent almost four decades in film, and now at age 59, this is the first time that you have ever gotten top billing in a Hollywood movie. What does that feel like at this moment in your career? It's like, finally, yeah. finally, we have our moment. Um, and thank God it didn't come a moment too soon. <laughs> no, I think I've waited, and I think uh, not just me, there's so many of us uh, that looks like me, like you, who are waiting, who are still waiting for the opportunities. I think the tide has, has turned, but we also need to be responsible, good storytellers, and seize the opportunities that are presented now for, right. the, for women, for uh, diversity, but don't let it just be lip service. It has to mean something. So this particular, this movie in particular, it's, uh, it's about an Asia, uh, Asian immigrant woman, an aging Asian immigrant woman. When was the last time you saw that, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Not only being a lead role, but to be the superhero. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... But you know that it, it took us a long time. I think in the older days, you know how Asians put their heads down and say, okay, let's just get on with it. Let's work hard. Our hard work will pay off. Bullshit. Sorry. <laughs> Amen. You know, sometimes we have to rock the boat. Absolutely. We just have to rock the boat and say, look at us. Give us a chance because guess what? We exist in your society. We are part of the society and very, very much an intricate part of this whole community. And 
But we also have to make it that we have to stand up for our rights. You know, we we can't 100%. just we. It's not just for us, but for our our children and their children. And this is the only way we will get more opportunities if we fight for it and no longer be able to say, okay, I'll turn the other cheek. Dang, no more turning the other cheek. Absolutely. Well, speaking of taking a stand, making decisions, making choices in life, you know, your character, Evelyn, she travels back and forth between alternate universes in this story where she catches glimpses of what her life would have been like had she made different choices. And it made me wonder if you have ever imagined what other universes would have opened up had you made different choices in life. You know, I, I think what we all do is we ponder, especially when we've made a mistake, and we all must make mistakes. We're human, right? They, I, I'm sure we do that, some really bad ones, and if you're smart, you'll never make them again. And that's what we hope to do is every time we do make a mistake is to know what the mistake is, accept it, and move on and move forwards. And um, I do I want to say, oh, I wish... There, of course, there are things in life I wish I, I did, um, which would have made me smarter, healthier, wiser uh, when I was younger. Uh, but do I sit there and go, I wish I took another path because then I wouldn't have all the amazing things I have today and the career that I've forged uh, over the last 30-something years. So I don't, I don't really spend time doing that. But I think in, in everything, everywhere, all at once, it does make you ponder because what it tells you here is like every choice that you make splinters into a full-blown universe of its own with a real life, irregardless of whether you have hot dog fingers, whether you're a rock, what you have evolved to. I think the core spirit, the core emotion is very, very real in whatever universe you are in. And for Evelyn, yes, because her life at that moment in time was so desperate and feeling like such a failure, she, she almost wants to go to the glam universe where yeah. she has, she's successful. You know, everything. She's a someone, movie star. Yeah, I mean, she's frankly, a movie those star. scenes look like your real life, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> the, Daniels tried very hard, okay? They tried to call the, the character Michelle at the beginning of the, when we started our journey. <laughs> and I shot that down like right away. It's like, no. So watch my lips. N-O. No yeah. Michelle calling in the movie. Um, because I think it's, it's, it's like, yes, we do have moments of regrets, but we also have to remember if you go, like what Evelyn is told, if you go into that universe, it destroys all the other universes. It destroys the, your universe. And what is most precious to you now, you would lose. Yeah, I felt like this movie was telling us, ultimately, it's not useful in life to wonder what if? Exactly. Because no matter what so. path you choose will involve some loss, but also some gain. Yeah? Yes. And I think you have to be present. This life is yours. But if you're not present, it's wasted. It goes by. As, as you know, time waits for no one. You know, when we're born, we age and then we die. And God forbid we die before we have lived our lives. So we have to be present in whatever universe, in whatever life, because if you give up on being present, then you give up on your life. 
That was Michelle Yeoh talking to NPR's Elsa Chang about the new movie Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. After the break, we'll talk about what that kind of representation means to people watching. You know, these teeny tiny moments where you know someone gets it, someone has had that experience that speaks to you. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor Yogi Tea. Support your body and mind no matter the season with Yogi Elderberry Lemon Balm Immune Plus Stress Tea. Adaptogenic herb ashwagandha and antioxidant black elderberry combine with soothing lemon balm in this citrusy blend to help support immune function and stress response. Support your well-being with Yogi Tea. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways. In a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time, here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is committed to helping you in times of stress with customized online therapy. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com code and see if it helps life feel a little bit easier. Karen, just Karen, code switch. And we're back talking about the movie Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. We just heard about what it was like for film star Michelle Yeoh to play such a subversive role. Next up, we're going to hear from a galaxy of stars, our friends at Pop Culture Happy Hour. You'll hear host Aisha Harris in conversation with NPR's Mallory Yu and Andrew Limbong. They got into how the film explores generational trauma, queerness, and immigrant identity. Here's Aisha. What I really loved about this movie was just how unpredictable it was. Even though after a while you sort of understand it's a movie it's not a movie that teaches you how to watch it mm-hmm. and even though a lot of it eventually becomes familiar i can think of plenty of shows or movies recently that have done the similar interdimensional take on things it's done in such a different way in a unique way and it's coming at a moment when we are having a lot of content right now about generational trauma mm. and when it got to the point in the climax where it was clearly becoming so much about that. And I had just seen Turning Red like a couple weeks before that. So it was like still very fresh in my mind. And on top of that, Russian Doll is coming back. So like there's a lot of generational trauma going on here. And and yeah. I'm I think I'm getting a little like weary of it in a way. I still appreciated it. But I'm curious to hear your take on it, Mallory, and how you related to that aspect of it. I mean, (laughs) similarly, like, I'm really glad that millennials, our kind of peers, are now able to make movies about our parents and kind of process how generational trauma have shaped, like, our generation. But also, man, I have been on a run of movies about moms specifically. Yeah. (laughs) And it has been (laughs) lovely, but... Also, I now have so much material for my therapist. I need a break. <laughs> like, it's hard. I can't get through all this material in, like, an hour. Um, I think sometimes for immigrant children especially, it can be really hard for us to talk to our parents on kind of a deeper emotional level. It can also be really hard to see each other as, like, three-dimensional people rather than kind of the people that we expect or want them to be. So the divide between Joy and her mom, where 
I could see Joy kind of yearning for this connection with her mother and also being completely unsure of how to cross that divide and how to make her mother understand her and see her. Like, I could really get that. Growing up, I sometimes felt like my parents were only seeing the version of me that they wanted to see. And then as a kid, I was also aware that I wasn't able to see my parents as three-dimensional people with lives before they were my parents, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a yearning that comes with wanting to cross that divide, but there's also sometimes anger and resentment. And I really appreciated the way that this threaded that needle of how vastly cultural differences can really affect a child's relationship with their parents. And then there's also a lovely message about, you know, understanding and acceptance of the flaws in the people around you that I really found poignant and lovely. Yeah. I think that's why I think it's so great that they included the grandfather character. Yeah. um, Played by James Hong, who I I was just before looking at his IMDb, my guy puts in work. Oh, yeah. This dude's like resume is... He's in his 90s now, I think, right? Oh, brother. Yeah, I know. (laughs) And he's still working, dude. (laughs) (laughs) But his character adds so much to Evelyn, you know, and, and sort of this relationship because like when we talk about like intergenerational divides you see her relationship with her father isn't great either, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, Mally, like you were saying, like seeing your parents as three-dimensional people, it's almost nice to be like, you're just as fucked up as I am. You know what I mean? It's like, you guys, you you had it just as hard, huh? (laughs) I I will say, like, the thing that I appreciated the most about that storyline or that dynamic was the fact that, like, it resolves itself, but not in the way I was quite expecting it to. Mm-hmm. And also the fact, like you said, the grandfather is involved. So it's not just intergenerational, but it's also it's not just a lineage of mothers and grandmothers. And but, but like it's like the grandfather plus the daughter and then the granddaughter. Like I liked seeing that sort of mixture because there is a different mm-hmm. texture and a different sort of interaction that you have across genders and generations. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated seeing that for a movie with dildos there are all these things that are happening (laughs) there's a long reference to ratatouille that's hilarious like it's still like by the end of it i was like oh my goodness i'm i'm crying a little bit yeah Yeah. (laughs) i think every immigrant kid can with parents who are esl speakers can kind of relate to the Mm -hmm. strange words that your parents come up with when they can't remember the the actual english word um like rakakuni I could totally hear one of my relatives making this mistake and being like, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing, right? Yeah. It's still a rodent on your head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I called a bedspread a bed spray until college because that's what my mom called it. And I was like, yeah. what do you mean? It's a bed spray. <laughs> like, what do you spray? <laughs> There's a tiny exchange in the middle of a larger conversation that Joy and Evelyn are having where Joy at one point corrects a pronoun that Evelyn has used Mm. wrongly, has misused. Mm -hmm. And Evelyn goes, he, she, him, she kind of gets confused and she's like, you know, I always mess that up. In Chinese, we only have one word for this. And I have, I mean, I've literally had that exact exchange almost word for word with my mom. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty much the first time that I have really seen that particular aspect funny and kind of frustrating aspect of being the child of an immigrant. And it was one that made me think like, Daniel Kwan gets it. Like Daniel has had this experience and 
he's kind of communicating with with me. Mm. It was I don't know if this is like short sighted on my part, but I was like, oh no, I thought it was just me. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. I, I was like, I thought that was just my dad. <laughs> Yeah, this is definitely, I think, the type of film that will resonate with a lot of people. And I actually saw it at the Castro Theater in San Francisco. Mm. And the cast was there. The Daniels were there. And, you know, I am not Asian myself, but most of the or like a lot of the audience was. And I could just feel there were all these moments that like I might not have caught, but I I could hear the understanding or the like knowing like, oh, yeah, I know this experience. I know Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. Like you can hear the people around you like, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about the generational aspect in terms of like being first generation, second generation immigrant. But like, how does it relate to you when we're also talking about the fact that Joy is queer and her mom is not exactly not exactly comfortable <laughs> engaging with <laughs> on it on board yeah i mean it hit really close to home for me um i think at first it was difficult for my mom as a religious person but also as a chinese person to kind of understand my queerness and where it was coming from and i could tell she accepted it but it was difficult and awkward for her to talk about and i really felt There was something really authentic in the way that Joy and Evelyn were kind of bumping up against each other and not talking about queerness, but talking around it. While I knew that my mom loved and accepted me and my queerness, it still hurt that it was difficult and awkward for her to talk about with me, Mm -hmm. that I could tell that there was some hesitation in the way that she, you know, referenced my partner or my dating life or whatever. Part of what helped the both of us was that we were physically distant. You know, I was living in DC, my mom is in LA. So I didn't have to have her discomfort in my face all the time, like while she was getting used to it. She could work through it on her own. I think if we had been more on top of each other, like Joy and Evelyn, I could really see our relationship becoming strained because from Joy's perspective, she's like, this is who I am. I just want you to see this part of me and accept it and be okay with it and be comfortable with it. And for Evelyn, it's like she's trying but not really trying because she doesn't really know how to try in that way. I could really see myself feeling like Joy and it really kind of helped me think about the weird feelings that I've had about that kind of difficult, awkward period with my parents. I liked that it kind of resolved itself, but it didn't resolve itself. Mm -hmm. Like you can tell that there's still work to be done at the end of this movie. Yeah, You know, I never, my grandparents died before I really came out and they never got to meet my partner or really that part of me. I don't know, there's maybe like some wish fulfillment here at the end of this movie for me as a queer person who is maybe still figuring out my queerness and my Chinese identity as it relates to my family. Hmm. How did you think it worked as it inter- intersected with the sort of nihilist sub you know what i mean yeah. it, it was all like wrapped up in this like i was like is this about like depression or is this a, also you know is this about like queer depression or is it just like a sort of like resigned night like i don't know how, how did you sort of wrap your head around it i mean it's all wrapped up together right so a lot so much of the frustration is because of 
the queerness, right? But then there's also the general overarching, like, existential despair that I think many millennials <laughs> tend to feel nowadays. Yeah. And the, <laughs> the nihilism of, like, we weren't meant to be everywhere all at once. And I think sometimes living living on Twitter and living on the internet and social media makes it feel very much like you're supposed to be everywhere, everything all at once. And and being queer is kind of a big part of that. Like, mm-hmm. it's like this whole big jumbled mess. And I think the movie really did a good job of showing how jumbled and messy it is without telling you what it's supposed to feel like. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that sort of nihilistic mode, Andrew, because that that was definitely the part that I loved the most Mm -hmm. was sort of like the Nietzschean questions that were being thrown out here. And like Mallory said, they don't tell you how to feel, but they are throwing these ideas and so many other ideas out there just for you to sort of ponder. And even though there are so many ideas, they don't, it never feels jumbled in a way, at least to me, it didn't feel jumbled. Um, Andrew, what did you think of that aspect of it? It's incredible how heart on its sleeve it was and yet how not corny it was. Mm -hmm. Like they nailed existing is hard and difficult, but it is worth doing. It pulls it off with all of its underlying metaphor, I guess is the way to be like posy vibes without being cringe. Mm -hmm. Positive vibes without being cringe. That's a really (laughs) difficult line to draw. And then also wrapped up in a very surreal kind of presentation. I I loved it, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That was Aisha Harris, Mallory Yu, and Andrew Limbong for Pop Culture Happy Hour. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for some raccoon cooey. Well, I'm ready for the idea of it anyway. And that's our show. We want to hear from you. You can follow us on Twitter and IG at NPR Codeswitch. I'm at Karen Bates. Email us at codeswitch at npr.org and subscribe to our newsletter by going to npr.org slash newsletters. This episode was produced by Christina Kala and Deba Motisham and edited by Leah Danella. Shout out to the rest of the Code Switch fam, Jean Demby, Jess Kung, Alyssa Jean-Perry, Kumari Devarajan, Summer Tomad, Nathan Pugh, Taylor Jennings-Brown, and Tim Beat Ermius. Our art director is L.A. Johnson. I'm Karen Grigsby-Bates. See ya. See ya.